My name's Phil Strong and it's, it's just always good to be with you. I know that I'm here and you're there, but I just feel like it's great to be connected. And so I really appreciate you uh, checking us out and watching what we're up to. Uh, if you want to know more about Zion, head across to our website, zionpeople.nz, and you can explore more about who we are, what we believe, and how we connect with each other. Uh, and also you can follow us on uh, YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube page, and uh, that's going to be the best way to keep up to date with what's happening here. Hey, look, we're in the middle of this series called Temple and Table. And I just wanted to maybe set up what I want to do with you today and just say to you how vital it is that we comprehend uh, what God is doing. We've got to uh, push past our paradigms. We've got to push past what we think, what we believe, or what we've experienced in the past. God has said to us, see, I am doing a new thing. Forget the former and look forward to what I reveal to you. You have not seen this, you have not been this way. And so we're really exploring what that looks like under this banner, temple and table. And right at the beginning, I wanna to say to you, it's really, really, really important that we make sure we gather together around the table. What I don't want happening is for people to think, hey, it's great, we're not in the building. And they just take the week off church. They forget about Jesus. They go and they do shopping. They go to the lake. They get on the boat. They go to the beach. They go for a walk. And all of that's good if you have Jesus as part of what you're doing. So please do not neglect meeting together, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10. Please do not neglect the need, the importance of coming together around the table. One of the things that I believe is really vital for 2022 is that we have a culture, an environment, of encountering the face of God. And I want to speak about that today. Now, that's really important that we do that when we're with each other. That we have moments where we pray and we expect God to drop into our world, that we're tangibly aware of his presence around us, that we have an encounter with God that changes us. That's the kind of environment we need. And that's what I'm hoping and praying that you and I get to experience, experience as we gather around the table with each other. There's a message in YouTube titled The Dimensions of a Hybrid Church. And in that message, I was talking about the, the both and, uh, the, the best way to get power into our system through gathering together and through meeting in an intimate space. And apparently in that meeting, according to Kathy's notes in her notebook, I said that Zion at home was going to become a vital part of how we go together and grow together in the future. And how prophetic was that? 12 months ago, we could already see a little bit, a glimpse that God was leading us to a place of a new dimension, a new paradigm. And so it's really important, it's vital that we do not neglect meeting together, that we come together around the table, that we come around the table to grow together with Jesus and each other. And I'm imploring you, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing just how important that is, that we would not neglect that. Coming together for worship in a table environment, whether it's actually around a table, or whether it's in a park, or whether it's as you go for a walk. Remember Jesus in the midst of what you're doing. It's vital we have this culture of encounter. And this is really important that we have a, an encounter space at the temple and an encounter space at the table. You see, then we're expecting to meet God wherever we are. 
And imagine if God met you in a cafe. Imagine if God met you when you're with your friend and suddenly they get also to experience the presence of God. This is why it's so vital that we develop a culture of encounter. And today I want to speak to you about that with a message called Let's Light the Lamp. Now I started this message last week. Make sure you go and grab it. Uh, have a look and understand what we're talking about with this key scripture that God's given us for this message. Let me share that scripture with you right now. The key verse for this message is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, and I'm reading it from the Amplified Translation. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God, clearly revealed in the face of Christ. Last week, I unpacked that verse a little bit, so I'll link to it in the description. Make sure you jump back, if you haven't seen it yet, and, and, and go through that verse and the power of, of this idea that God has given us this light that must be the light the world experiences. So today, what I want to do is I want to segue off that, and I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 5. Now, we looked at this last week. Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus himself mirrors this idea that we would be the light the world gets to experience. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Friends, this light that God has given us we must make sure that it is not hidden and we must make sure that it shines out to all that are around us. So the idea that I shared last week was that the temple environment is like a city on a hill, that people get to see it when they're in darkness, that they look for a place of safety and refuge and they're able to go to the light in order to find safety. That's like the, the corporate church, the big gathering, the services that we hold in a building. But in the next verse, Jesus says, what about when you light a lamp in the home? You don't hide that light, but you invite others to experience that light. Imagine if you invited your neighbors or your workmates or your friends to join you in your home around the table with others from the church as you, as you fellowship and as you honor Jesus and as you grow in his word together. Let not your light be hidden under a basket, but let it shine for others to see. This is the key for us as we look to light the lamp. And today, I want to take that one step further with you. So before we look at the lamp, I really want you to consider this question. I want you to maybe even pause the video if you want, or if you want to come back to it later, make sure you check the question down below. But let's take a moment to discuss this with others. Who's watching this with you? Is it someone in your home or someone that you want to have a coffee with? What does it mean for me to have my light shining before others. What does it look like? What am I doing? What do others see? And what do they experience? So take a moment to discuss that together. And as you discuss it together, I pray that God really inspires you and that you grow together as you journey this engaging with God's word together. Go on, have a conversation, and I'll see you afterwards. Now we get to the meat of what I want to share with you today in this message. Let's light the lamp. I want to talk about the lamp. I want to point to the lamp and I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to unpack what it means uh, to be the lamp. 
In the Old Testament, uh, Moses had uh, significant encounters with God on the mountaintop. One of those encounters, God gave him the blueprints for a tabernacle, for a place of dwelling, for a place of worship, where God and his people would connect together. This tabernacle was structured in a way that allowed God's people to prepare to connect with God, to participate in the relationship, and then to come face to face with his presence. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a, 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 a big gap between those that were called to be priests being allowed to be with God uh, and, and those that were the people, and the priests did that on behalf of the people. But thankfully, Jesus Christ came to tear down the veil that we would be invited into that place where we too can experience a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Remember, our goal, our desire is that we'd have an environment of encounter. So we, as God's people, can uh, prepare to come before him. And that's like the outer court of the tabernacle. We can then participate in, in, in the act of worship, which is the, the holy place. And, 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 and then we get to move into the holy of holies, which is about face-to-face -face encounter and presence with God. Sharing his breath, having his life, his spirit uh, change and transform us. That we would radiate his countenance. Because God's given some of his glory for us to share. And, and that's where we, 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 we encounter that. What I want to speak about today very specifically is the menorah. It's the lampstand that we find in the holy place. Now, if you want a more detailed description of the, the way into the holy place and the holy of holies, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a link here to a, uh, an excerpt of a message that I shared last year uh, in embracing holiness. And, that, and that under the Old Testament, there was a ritual, there was a pattern, there was behavior required to encounter God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, that we don't have to follow the law in order to encounter you. And, and there's a link to that because you want to grab an understanding of God's pattern that he's got for us and, and, and to come into his presence and have an encounter with him. So that's for you in the description below. Today, I want to focus specifically on the menorah. And the reason I want to do that is I want to unpack the light that God has given us, the reason we would want to light the lamp. What is our motivation for even understanding more of God's ways? Let's get into that and let's dig deep. Once we've digged deep, once you've got some, some things to discuss, what I'd really like to do is to highlight the whole main point of why I'm talking about this. So let's do the detail, going to give you some time to discuss it, and then I'm going to get to the main point. We find the menorah, uh, the lampstand, talked about in Exodus 25. So if you catch your Bibles, jump across to Exodus 25. Uh, 1, 2, 3, Genesis, Exodus. So it's the second book of the Bible. Exodus 25. And we're looking from verse 31. So Moses is having this encounter with God. God's giving him instructions on how he's to prepare the opportunity for people to worship God in their midst. And that's what we want to do too. So in Exodus 25 verse 31, uh, the Lord says to Moses, You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. This is called the menorah. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental buds and knobs, flowers shall be of one piece of gold. Six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand on one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. 
three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. Three bowls made like ornamental blossoms, like almond blossoms on the other branch with ornamental knob and flower. And so for the six that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Here we have this elaborate uh, menorah lampstand. Think of like a candelabra that stands uh, as tall as a man. And it has seven branches that reach up to these lights that are above. Why don't you just Google uh, menorah and look at some of the images of the Jewish lampstand, the menorah. Uh, as per the scriptures here, we see that it has seven branches. Now what I want to do is I want to point to some aspects of it. I want to show you how powerful this is because God went to so much effort, not effort on his part, but effort on our part, to, to create such intricate detail. There's got to be something in that for us. It's good for us to learn. It's good for us to grow. So let's look at five aspects of this menorah. And we might see why it's important that we as the lampstand would shine God's light. Let's look at the first one. The first one is in Exodus 25 verse 31. It says, it shall be established of pure gold. One lump of pure gold. Now, what is this, why is this important to us? Well, in the, uh, in the scriptures, gold is something that is pure and refined. Gold is something that is precious to God. And, and we are like gold. So, so let's look at a couple of references that are going to pop down on the bottom of the screen here. The first one I want you to look at is something that Job said, uh, Job 23 and verse 10. What did Job say as he's being tested and refined and purified by God? He says, God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Well, I don't want you to miss the fact that God said to Moses, the menorah will be made out of a lump of gold and it will be hammered. It's not carved. It's not manipulated. It's hammered. And I know, I don't know about you, but if I, I've had seasons like Job where I've been tested, where I've been refined, where I've been consecrated by God and I feel like I'm being hammered. And God said, the process is that I will refine you that will be precious and pure like gold. Well, if you know me, you know I like to look at the prophets and see what they also say. And I found this in, in Zechariah chapter 13 as I was considering why we might place importance on being of gold and substance as God would desire us to be. And the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 13 in verse 9 says, I will bring the one-third, the remnant, I will bring them through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. 
I believe it's really important that we understand the purity and the, the preciousness of gold, that we would know that God sees us like that, that that's his desire. And when we have a moment to pause and discuss, I'd really like you to look at these scriptures and discuss with your friends around the table, what does this mean for us and what's going on in my life and how am I being tested? The second element of the menorah we read in verse 32, Exodus 25 and verse 32, is that it had seven branches. God said, make them seven. So the shaft you'll see in the imagery has three on one side, three on the other. Six plus one is seven. There are seven branches. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, I want you to discuss this, but here's a couple of thoughts. Seven is the number of completion for God. There are seven days in the week, and he said it's good and it's perfect. Seven refers to the fullness of God. And I want you to think about that. If you go and have a study and you look for another place where lampstands are mentioned, we see that there are lampstands in heaven. John had a revelation and, and got um, somehow given a vision of heaven where he saw Jesus in the throne room. And around him were seven lampstands. This is Revelation 1. Have a read of it. At the end of Revelation 1, Jesus says to John, he said, these seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, many people comment and say, well, they just represent the seven churches uh, that Jesus writes letters to in the book of Revelation. And that's possible. Others would say that the seven churches represent the bride of Christ in all its fullness and glory once it has been refined and made holy uh, by the work of Jesus, the preparation of the bride for the coming king. Well, however you want to look at that, we've got to understand that seven is the fullness and, and, in, and in fullness we re require community. You're not an island. You're not one little light on your own. In Matthew chapter 5, we read a city on a hill. A city has many homes in it with many lights. The point is that we to come together. The second aspect that I've got for you, if you really want something heavy to chew on, is to go to Isaiah 11 and look at the prophecy Isaiah brings about Jesus who will come. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, we read that Jesus himself, the branch, will bring the seven spirits of God. Let's just quickly look at that in Isaiah chapter 11, because it's something you might want to discuss. A branch shall grow out of its roots. This is Jesus, descendant of Jesse and David. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Well, this is a little bit heavy, but if you want to really understand more about it, have a look in Revelation chapter 5. John has this vision of the Lamb, the Lamb that stands in the center. We know this is Jesus. And it says, On the Lamb were seven eyes, which looked to and fro across the earth, and these are the seven spirits of God, writes John. What does this mean for us? Well, seven lamps come together as community. We need each other. The fullness and the perfection of God will only be found when we're in community. So I urge you to discuss this with each other and understand more about, uh, if I'm going to shine, I want to shine with others, because the light that shines together shines brighter. The third thing that we read about 
in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 33 is that, that there's this almond uh, flower that is the lamb, and under it there's a bud and a knob. It's, a, it's about a representation of the almond branch. And, and uh, so I decided to study this, and why would God use the almond branch? Well, let's have a look at this almond branch. We see an almond branch appear when uh, the people of God are grizzling about Moses and Aaron, his brother, who's been called to be the high priest. Uh, the people are grizzling about Aaron getting preferential treatment chosen out of the tribe of Levi as a priest before the Lord. But basically, God says, take your staff, write your name on it, each one of you from the 12 tribes of Israel, and put them before the presence of the Lord. Come back tomorrow and see which one I have chosen. They all do that, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's seen the next morning that Aaron's staff has budded. It was a dead stick, and it's got almond buds, and it's got almond flowers. It's got fruit on it. And Aaron's like, whoa, God, is, God will not be judged. God, God will not be compromised. And, and so this, this staff shows God's power to bring about his desire. The second, second time we see an almond uh, tree referred to is in the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. And God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see an almond branch with it. And, and God says, well, see, this says that I'm alert and I'm watching over my word and I'm willing to see it performed. And, and so biblical scholars would say the almond branch represents God's faithfulness. So in this lampstand, we see the almonds represent God's God being the sovereign Lord and God being the one who is faithful over his word. What does that mean for you? Why don't you pause the video and discuss that with your friends? Why don't you, why don't you talk about how God has been faithful in your life and encourage each other with the testimony of Jesus Christ and the power of God working in your lives? The fourth thing that I want you to notice about the menorah, and it's not found in Exodus 25, it's found in Exodus 27, is that the source of, uh, let's say, fuel for the lamp is olive oil. God says in Exodus 27, you can read it, he says, Moses, tell the people to press the olives, to make a pure oil, to bring that oil for the priests to use to light the lamp in the menorah. And olive oil is a beautiful symbol of God's spirit. Remember that um, Aaron was anointed and God says, set him aside and pour the pure olive oil upon his head. And, and it's a symbol in the Bible of, of, of people being set apart by God. Many people were anointed by oil. Remember, um, David was anointed by the prophet Samuel, set apart and God's spirit came upon David and he would be the future king of Israel. Jesus was anointed with special fragrant oil uh, by Mary. A beautiful moment and, and Jesus said, do not, do not disregard what she has done for she will be remembered for eternity. There's this idea that the oil represents the purity of God's spirit that is for us. It becomes the source of our life. It becomes the, the source of our light. And uh, without God's spirit, we cannot shine light. And finally, the the last thing that I want to show you in this Exodus 25 is it says here in verse 37, You shall make seven lamps, and they shall arrange its lamps so they give light in front of it. This idea that there's a projection of the light that comes in order that it would light the way for others. 
It's, it's, look, it's a, it's a minor point, but the point is this. God has given us his light in order that it would make a way for other people. So as you begin to discuss this, what I want you to think about is how is my light shining in front of others? You think about the preparation to worship God outside the tabernacle, the coming in to participate, and we are the lampstand, shining God's light for others to find their way to God's presence. How are you shining your light? Where is your light shining? And how can others experience it? Why don't you pause the video, check the questions below in the description, and have some conversation about the menorah and what it means for your life. Hey, well, welcome back. I really do hope you're uh, having some good discussion. I really hope you're engaging with each other, and, and I want to be part of that. So, so here's, here's my contribution to your conversation. Let me say this to you. You're not the light. You're the lampstand. And, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness. We've got to remember that without his Holy Spirit, without the anointing of his oil, without his, his purifying us, that we would be made precious and pure to be set apart by him, that there can be no light. I mean, he's light, but he's called us to be the light uh, like a city on a hill, like a, a lamp that's lit in a home that it would light up the whole house and cause others to see. Remember, you're not the light. But you're called to come into a place where God's light shines through you. And it's really the point of this message. What is the point? The main point is that we would be God's light to others. That we would open up the way for them to come and find God for themselves. That they would discover a relationship with him. They'd be able to come face to face and have an encounter with him. That their lives would be transformed by his love, his grace, his power. Because your light shined the way for them to find him. And all of this is possible, as demonstrated by the menorah, only if we light the lamp. And this is what made this menorah uh, so um, uh, significant for me in this concept of, of the table and the temple, is that there's a discipline required uh, as evidenced in the scriptures, in the book of Exodus, you would see that Aaron and his brothers, the Levitical priesthood, must tend to the lamp. And so what I'm closing with here is a challenge for you to say, let's get the lamp lit, but let's make sure it stays bright. And just in the same way that Aaron and his brothers would take the olive oil and make sure that it was topped up, that it would burn throughout the night, that the light was constantly shining. So too must we always remember that we must tend to our lamps. What does this look like? Spiritual disciplines, spiritual obedience, spiritual submission, journeying with God and with others in order that your light would continue to shine. As I close, I really want to point this back to your discussion time. I want to, to think about being uh, vulnerable with each other and saying, like, this is where I'm really struggling to keep my light shining bright. Would you help me? Would you pray with me? Would you hold me accountable? If you remember in last week's message, let's light the lamp in the first part, right at the end of the message, go and have a look at it again. I shared about this idea that we would develop between ourselves a sacred space. And a sacred space only comes when you're vulnerable. A sacred space only comes when you're 
open with each other. Our sacred space is developed uh, through vulnerability, that we establish through trust, that we do love each other, we're not going to kill each other, we're not going to harm each other, we're not going to judge each other. But we really do care about the other person growing with Jesus and that we can be a part of that. So I'm encouraging you to be vulnerable, to be honest in your discussions. And, and, and the fruit of it, I can promise you, is a, is a vulnerable uh, environment that leads to a sacred space. And a sacred space is truly a blessing. So take time to speak with each other. Take time to pray with each other. Take time to light the lamp with the presence of God and the anointing of his Holy Spirit and to keep the light shining bright. And I reckon the best way for you to do that is to do that with each other. As I close, I just want to give you two simple questions that you might want to add that might help you with your discussion. What does this mean in my personal faith walk? What do I need? And what am I holding myself to, to do differently? And the second question I'd like you to ask someone is, how can I help you in your walk? Be the one who wants to help. Be the one who's willing to listen. Be the one who's willing to pray. Be the, willing, the one who's willing to follow up. As we do this together, we become stronger together. And the light will shine brighter. The light that shines together shines brighter in the community. Hey, may God richly bless you as we go on this journey of temple and table. I hope you're having some great discussion time, uh, but make sure once this is finished that you take an opportunity to get with someone, talk about it, and grow together. Hey, my prayer is that you would, um, you would go through this transitional process that's shown to us in the tabernacle, that you would prepare through bringing an offering of sacrifice and remembering Jesus and all he's done, that you'd participate in the act of worship in this, uh, in this holy place. And then finally, you'd get to experience the Holy of Holies, the face-to-face -face relationship with God. My hope and my desire for each one of us is that we'll have a culture, and, a, and it's normal for us to have encounters with God face-to-face -face where we're radically transformed by His love and His grace and His goodness, and that we invite others into that space. So go on, push yourself, and experience God in a new way this week with someone else. God bless you, and I'll catch you soon.